time for the fastest hour of radio, Southern Race Week, with your host, William Barber. All right, everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Southern Race Week. That's right. Hey, the phone's going off. The timer is on. I'm William Barber, a.k.a. WV, and this week on Southern Race Week, I'm back in the saddle again with my good buddy, Alfie, 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 man. How are you doing, Alfie? Doing good, uh, WB. Glad to have our fearless leader back in the captain's chair this week, uh, delivering this brand new edition of Southern Race Week Radio. We were a loss without you there for a few weeks, William, but we were able to uh, scramble, get everyone uh, rallied around, and we were able to produce some great radio uh, broadcasting while you were uh, gone, my friend. But glad to have you back. We will uh, we will talk about uh, some of the some of the reasons that I was out over the last couple of weeks. Maybe next week, but uh, this week, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of things going on. A lot of the short tracks are trying to get their uh, gates back opened up and allow race fans to come in and watch races. We're going to talk about that a little bit today with uh, Ted Allstead on the short track news you can use and. Which tracks like Dixie Speedway, Ops, um, OSPS down in uh, Savannah, all these tracks are trying to open back up and they each are finding that their county by county guidelines are so different that there can't be a wash, rinse and repeat and do this. And we're going to talk with Ted about that and uh, also uh, talk about the, uh, how Atlanta Motor Speedway got the Thursday Thunder program back up and rolling and how race fans, uh, some 25,000 race fans have watched it for free. So we'll talk about that with them. And then I know you caught up with the, the uh, award-winning, soon-to-be uh, inductee into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, uh, Mr. Farmer, right, Alfie? That's right. One of the original members of the Alabama gang there, uh, Red Farmer, who was the first winner of the pioneer ballot of the NASCAR Hall of Fame will be going in into the NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, this year. So uh, very excited about that, William. So we're going to be talking with, uh, uh, with a red farmer. Uh, you know, we have so much to talk to him about because I mean, he's basically raced uh, when NASCAR first started. I mean, he was one of those guys who laid the groundwork for the great sport we are able to enjoy today. And he still races. Can you believe this? He is like in his mid eighties. And he still races over at Talladega Short Track. In fact, we were supposed to interview him uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he couldn't join us because he was working on his car, getting ready uh, to go and race in the Talladega Short Track. So yeah. uh, he's still out there racing and going to be the newest member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So we'll talk with him, and I'm sure he's got a lot of great stories and looking forward to uh, talking with him coming up here on the program as well, William. I'm JoJo Wilkinson, driver number 11 with the ProLite model from Newtown, Alabama, and you're listening to Southern Race Week. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of Southern Race Week Radio along the far-flung Southern Race Week Radio Network. It's uh, Alfie bringing you yet again another brand new week's edition of Southern Race Week Radio for you. And I got to tell you, I am very honored and privileged to have our next guest here on the program this week since he's been inducted into the nascar hall of fame i've been doing a lot of research on this young man he's have an illustrious nascar career continuing to show the youngsters how to get it done uh, very often down there at talladega short track doing some racing there continuing as well so let's welcome in via the food depot zoom line coming in from Hueytown, alabama Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Red 
Mr. Farmer, thank you so much for taking time to uh, join us this week on Sunday Race Week Radio. Let me ask you the first question. Has it been um, problematic now to hear people referring to you as NASCAR Hall of Famer? Has it gotten uh, old to you yet? No, it's, it's kind of hard to get used to, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, to hear them, you know, a few of them say that to you. So it's, uh, it's quite an honor to have that anyway. Well, Mr. Farmer, the NASCAR Hall of Fame changed up the induction process. They went to separate ballots now. You're the first recipient of the Pioneer ballot, the new Pioneer ballot the Hall of Fame has, has included this year. I spoke to Winston Kelly last week, and he said if there's anyone who's more deserving of winning the first year of the Pioneer Award, it's Red Farmer. And I got to do a little bit of research about you, sir, and you've had an amazing career and continuing to race uh, even today. Uh, tell me, how did you get into racing? Because today, a lot of drivers, you know, my father got me started. My grandfather got me started. You know, back in your days, you guys kind of built this sport to what it is today. So for you, how did you become interested and fall in love with the sport of racing? Well, in 1948, a buddy of mine, uh, uh, daddy had a old 34 Ford that they was running. And he'd had a fall on that with his driver. I didn't know anything about stock car racing that time. And uh, and Earl says, uh, you want to drive my dad's car Sunday? I said, what kind of car? <laughs> he said, well, he's got an old car. He runs out of Opelika Speedway. And I said, well, We'll try it. I thought I'd go out there and do it because I was kind of a crazy driver on the street with my little 37 Ford I had anyway. And I went to Opelika Speedway and got in his car. And it was kind of, it wasn't really a racetrack at that time. It was an abandoned airport strip up at the Opelika. And we used to go down the one of the runways, turn through the dirt over to the other runway and come back the other way and then make a turn in the dirt again and come back over on the other driveway. So it was kind of a weird racetrack, but when I come off of the dirt and hit the asphalt, I flipped that car and turned it over about twice and rolled over it and landed back on four wheels and I kept going again and uh, <laughs> never never stopped. And, and I, after it was over with, you know, I told myself the most fun I've had a lot of years. So I've been doing it ever, I've been doing it for <laughs> 73 years now. That was before in 1953, I came, uh, I came to Daytona and ran my first race on the beach course, brought a Hudson up there. And that was my first NASCAR race in 1953 on the beach course. And I got to say, I've watched some old video footage of the races that they used to hold on the beach before they built the super speedway. And my, I have two young boys who are six and four years old, and they love the movie Cars. So they've grown to love NASCAR. We watch the races on, on Sundays as well. And during the quarantine, we were watching a lot of, of the old classic races. Um, and we were watching some of the footage from the, the races on the beach. And they were so fascinated that they had cars that would race, because they've been to the beach a couple of times. And they, they think of the beach as where people surf and lay out and, and go swimming. And they're like, they were fascinated that cars were racing around the track at, uh, on the beach. So for you, how, how, and I've seen some of the great footage of that. I, I can't imagine what it was like to be able to race on the beaches of Daytona. Tell me about the crowds that were out for these early races. Tell me what kind of people were coming to attend these races early on. Well, they, 
actually when they were on the beach course it didn't have they had a little bit of a grandstand in the north turn but that was the only place they had anything everybody they had to stand alongside the racetrack in the palmettas and watch the races see we ran two miles down a1a highway went through the south turn come back out on the beach run two miles up the beach and went through the north turn and come back out on a1a again so it was a actually a little over a four mile racetrack with two turns and it had the beach which you could run uh a1a was so narrow back in those days it was real tough to pass going down the straight back the back straight away but when you got on the beach when the tide was out you could run 20 abreast it was seemed like it was a quarter of a mile wide the beach race and of course a lot of them used to go out there and run with their two right side tires almost in the water to more or less cool their tires down so it was kind of weird really to run that <laughs> well growing up you know in nascar and becoming a fan i know how much sponsorship and money it goes into for these teams now to race you got to have sponsors you got to have a lot of money you got to have a lot of investment so for you back then racing what was it like financially how were you able to keep a team running and how were you able to financially be able to be out there because for you guys you you, you had to win or place possibly to be able to race in the next upcoming event well that's right we we ran from race to race it's just like uh people work from paycheck to paycheck to survive we did the same thing with our racing career uh but like when you started that car when i drove that hudson up how i started i didn't even have a tow truck or a trailer we drove the race car the hudson up from miami to daytona me and my mechanic with the suitcases in the back seat a little toolbox in the trunk listened to the radio and drove it all the way up to <laughs> Daytona. Uh, so that's how we, that's how we started NASCAR, you know, then, you know, way I started that in the think that uh, 68 years later, I'm in the hall of fame, you know, it's really kind of mind boggling. We had to fix our cars up. If we had trouble with a, a little trouble in the pits and stuff, you didn't just park it. We worked on it. We had to, we fixed it up somehow to get back on that racetrack. So we had to run to get a paycheck to be able to feed our families. And it was a tough deal uh, back in those days to survive because the purse money wasn't there, you know. Um, I saw your interview with Dale Jr. I thought that podcast you did was absolutely awesome. Um, and you said a lot of fascinating things. One of the things you said about financially as, as you were having a team was that these guys who came out and helped you were volunteers. You didn't pay them. You said you paid for their – their food and their hotel and, and all of that, but you didn't give them a salary. And I love the reason you said it was because if they, if you pay them, you know, they're going to come and work. Like you knew that you were going to do it, but for not to not pay them and then show up, that means they wanted to be there. They wanted to help you. And I thought that was amazing that you had a, a whole bunch of volunteers. who just came out just to help you to get, uh, you know, to get you across that finish line with a checkered flag. Well, you know, they, they have, that's the reason I guess you drive so hard for your crew, you, you, especially when you got a volunteer crew. They come out here, they want to be part of a winning team. They want to be able to go to Victory Circle. They want to be able to say that they helped prepare that car that won that race. So it meant a lot to them too. So it, just as I did for winning, it would meant a lot for my crew as, as well. So maybe that's the reason you drive so hard maybe to please your crew because without a crew you have got nothing speaking with nascar hall of famer here red farmer on uh, southern race week radio and another great interesting fact that i learned from uh, watching your dale jr podcast interview 
that I found probably one of the most fascinating tidbits of information was that you raced against three generations of Earnhardts, racing with Ralph Earnhardt, Dale Sr., and Dale Jr., which I think is an amazing, amazing accomplishment and says a lot about your longevity and your ability to do what you do year in and year out. And, I mean, can you tell me the difference in the style of the way you race each one of those individual guys? Is, is, is there a lot of differences between Ralph, Dale Sr., and Dale Jr. Oh, in the way they race? Drivers, and they all wanted to win, so it's always the same with the you know, it just like I say, it, uh, the petties, I drove against all the petties. I drove back in wow. Lee, Petty, Lee Petty and also Buck Baker. In fact, in 56, when I won my first NASCAR national championship in 1956, Buck Baker was the cup champion, and uh, I was the modified champion, and Ralph Earnhardt, Dale's granddaddy, was the sportsman champion that year. <laughs> so. I read the Bakers and the Petties and the Earnhardts in all those years. So it, uh, but they were all top competitors, you know, and racing. That and you know, you talk about the beach race in 1956. They started 136 cars in the race on the beach. 136 cars took the flag in 1956 on the beach course. That was really something to be in that one. I'll tell you. So, I, oh, I could only imagine. Like, I just love watching those old videos of you out there uh, racing on an old track. So, uh, speaking with Red Farmer here on uh, Southern Race Street Radio. Now, Mr. Farmer, you've you've seen NASCAR there from the beginning. You were there basically to put the first foundation to what NASCAR is today. Now, as you look at NASCAR today and what it has become and what it has done over the years, did you ever think – that what y'all were doing back then will result in what NASCAR is today. You know, I will tell you what, uh, if, if you've been in NASCAR as long as I have and seen from where it came to what it is now, they would be amazed. Uh, I remember, I think it was in 53 when I went to get my NASCAR license, I asked them where they go and they gave me an address and told me where to go. And I went over and it was a two story frame house on the beach on Pennsylvania Avenue, backed up to the Bay Area. And I drove I then parked in the driveway and walked up the sidewalk and knocked on the screen door. And Mary Bruner was sitting in a desk in the living room and told me to come in. <laughs> and I went in there and got my NASCAR license from Mary Bruner sitting in the, 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 on a desk in the living room. And I bought a license, probably cost me $15. And I told him, I said, well, where's Bill France's office? She said, upstairs in the bedroom. <laughs> now, you see what happened now. They, I think they was in the rebuilding stage of trying to get a new office or something. Wow. That was their temporary place. But I remember buying my first NASCAR license from a lady sitting in the living room of a two-story house. Now you look at this, what they've got down in Daytona. I, I mean, it's just, it's like I said, I've seen it through 60, almost 70 years. And... It, it's kind of mind-boggling, and I can think of the from the inspections we've gone through to the development of different stuff all through the years. And I've always said the most important thing to me of all those years of the, the development was the development of the fuel cell. To me, that was one of the most important safety features that they've ever had was the fuel cell, because 
there's not a driver alive that'll tell you he's not scared of fire in the in a race car. I mean, it's just. Uh, and when they come out with a fuel cell, to me, that was one of the most important things that they came out with in a, a, my whole career is a fuel cell. Now, over the years, I'm sure you've raced at dozens and dozens and dozens of tracks, uh, some that are still open, some that unfortunately have closed up or are no longer in existence. Is there any one track that really jumps out at you as a track that you were like, you know what, I really enjoy racing here? I really feel comfortable here. Is there a track that you, amongst all the ones you race at, um, gave you the most joy and pleasure to race at? Well, it, it's really kind of unbelievable because basically I was more or less a short track, what you call a short track driver. But, I, you know, I won the Permatex 300 at Daytona Super Speedway. And I won two ARCA 500s at Talladega Super Speedway, the two fastest race tracks in the country. I won races on. but the short tracks to me, uh, I've always enjoyed, but I felt comfortable even at Daytona and Talladega running those speeds, uh, those speeds up 200 miles, over 200 miles an hour. But I still enjoy going over running on the quarter mile dirt tracks and stuff. So <laughs> it's kind of, uh, you know, I really had, uh, there's always special tracks that you ran. And uh, I've always told people, I said, well, I ran down in Key West, Florida. They had a little track down in Key West one time. I ran up in Oxford, Maine in the other corner. I ran over Saget Valley, Washington, over in British Columbia, another country, and then down Ontario, California, that corner. So I've run in all four corners of the United States, and I don't know how many hundred tracks I've run between them. But the the Permatex 300 that I won in Daytona is probably was the race that I've thought was my, my best race not the best race but the one I, I appreciated the most mainly because I ran the first race on Daytona on, on the super speedway in 59 and I ran it every year since then in 1971 when I finally won the Permatex 300 it's been 12 years I've been trying to win that race just like Earnhardt trying to win the 500 you know <laughs> didn't know whether it ever come or not but when it finally come, the main thing was that the other 11 years, it was always won by a cup driver. And I was actually the first sportsman driver, I guess, that won that race. So that meant a lot to me. But the main thing that made that race so special, and I'll always remember of all those I've won, was the fact that that was on February the 13th, 1971. My mother came to Daytona for the first time she'd ever been there. And she wasn't a real big race fan. But she came to Daytona that day, and I won the Permatex 300, and she got to go to Victory Circle with me, oh. with my wife and family. But what made it special, that was her birthday, February the 13th, the day I won the race for my mom's birthday. And she got to go to Victory Circle with me on her birthday. And I think that's changed my luck. So that's a race that's always been special to me. Speaking with NASCAR Hall of Famer Red Farmer here on Southern Race Grady, we got a, a couple of minutes left here before we uh, wrap things up. But... You know what? I love talking to you, sir. It's like you're a big kid at heart. And, uh, you know, you remind me of someone that I would love to be when, you know, as I get older in age, you know, continuing to love the things that you do. And, and, it's, and you still race. You know, I know the, for instance, I've been trying, I was trying to get you on the show a few weeks ago, and they told me you were busy getting your car ready for Talladega Short Track. So you're still out there running and gunning with a lot of these young kids who might not necessarily know exactly who you are and what you've done. So, let me ask you, how do you interact and how is it that, and, and how is it racing with maybe a lot of these younger kids out there? 
Well, I run, I'm always racing everybody on the racetrack like they race me. You know what I mean? Yes, and sir. you learn the drivers that are a little rough and the ones that'll rub you, ones that'll run you in the wall coming off the corner and the ones that'll chop you going in the corner. You learn the different drivers, their techniques and stuff. And as long as they drive me fair, then I'm going to drive them fair. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's everybody out there is wanting to run up front, wanting to run as fast as they can. So they're always going to run their limit. But, uh, you know, like I said, the youngsters, uh, they drive me just like they drive everybody else. And that's what I want them to. I don't want any special favorites because I'm 87 years old. You know, I want, I want to go out there and have a good time and race. But, you know, I've won enough races in my time that I don't have to win anymore. I don't expect to, really. I, I've had ran seconds and thirds. And I've ran uh, last year I had 12 top tens and five top fives. And I could still be competitive and run up in the top 10 about every week. So uh, as long as I go there and have a good time and, and have a good race for somebody, if I go out there and, and rub fenders and bump or and shove and just have a good race and finish seventh, eighth, or ninth, that's still up fine with me. I don't have to win a race anymore. It's just like a professional golfer. He goes out, he quits, he retires, but he goes out on the weekend and plays around the golf with his buddies, you know. And have a just have a good time. That's basically what I'm doing now. I'm just going out there and having a good time. Now, when you watch NASCAR races today, uh, what are your thoughts as you watch today's stars as they go around and, and continue the legacy traditions that you guys have set up? Well, if you see the cars that we drove back in the days when we didn't even have power steering, oh. we didn't have these fancy the five thousand dollar seats that they had them, you know, and and. Uh, what would these drivers be doing if they 40 years ago drove the cars that we drove? Wow. We had to manhandle our cars, you know, and, and I know I went down uh, this year to the snowball derby in Pensacola and I hadn't been on asphalt in 20 years. And I had a buddy down there had a car and I asked him to take it around. So I took that, that little car down at the snowball derby and got in it to take it around the racetrack for the first time in 20 years in asphalt. And I got in that car in the second lap, I was comfortable. These cars that they've got now with the technology and everything they got nowadays, they practically drive themselves, really. I mean, the car was so much easier to drive compared to what we drove years ago when we ran 500 mile races without, without power steering, without no cool suits, without all these seats that hold you in, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Maybe a belly strap's all we had, but, uh, it's it's come a long way, the technology, the safety and everything about it. But uh, I'm glad I was a part of it and I saw it grow up from nothing up to what it is now. Let me tell you, Mr. Farmer, I could sit here and listen to you talk and tell stories all day long. I mean, I think you need to have your own television show because I could watch watch you tell stories and, and just listen to just the days of uh, of past with you. So it, it was, like I said, sir, it's been an honor to speak with you and congratulations uh, once again on your induction into the uh, class of uh, 2021 for the nascar hall of fame so pretty soon we will see you enshrined uh in charlotte north carolina so uh, mr farmer thank you so much for taking time to join us this week on southern race week radio sir uh, we'll talk to you soon and uh maybe uh we'll have to come by and check you out at a race one time down there at talladega short track my friend 
Come down there and watch us play in the dirt. I'm Adam Alexander, part of the NASCAR coverage on Fox Sports 1, and you're listening to Southern Race Week. We like to cover the grassroots of racing, and uh, we catch up with our good buddy, Ted Manman Allstead from Atlanta Motor Speedway to talk about the short track news you can use. Ted, uh, man, how's it going, bro? It's going good. It's going good. How about you? Man, I'm just hanging in there, hanging in there, man. Uh, you know, uh, I see that, uh, that that Thursday Thunder is is running and and available for people to be able to get some play-by-play action for it. Uh, tell me about that first uh, before we talk about some of the things coming up. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Thursday Thunder, the, the 23rd season of racing at the, the quarter-mile track here at Lanamore Speedway kicked off uh, a week and a half ago. Um, Kentucky's Caleb Hetty uh, swept the pro features uh, the first two nights as we're running Wednesday and Thursday here for a couple of weeks to kind of make up for the lost ground uh, since we weren't able to get Thursday Thunder going in the month of June. Uh, he also he currently leads the national points race because he's been racing both here in Atlanta as well as up in Charlotte at the similar quarter mile uh, front straightaway track up there. Uh, and like you said, is no grandstand admission here because of the the current COVID situation with large group of gatherings. And we're in that live event venue guideline uh, that the governor set forth. Um, so we don't have the grandstand open, <clears throat> but what we are doing is we are live streaming the events now on the Atlanta Motor Speedway Facebook page. And I've really, uh, WB, I've been kind of surprised by the number of people that uh, have shown an interest in that live stream as uh, the first two shows last week, uh, we had uh, just about 25,000 views. I don't know how many wow. times you watched it. If you watched it a dozen times, right, it knocks that number down a little bit. But uh-huh. uh, it, it's become pretty popular, and we're getting feedback from just about every corner of the country that people are watching it and tuning in and enjoying the show. So it's, it's a great way to showcase uh, some of the great young talent that we have in the Legends cars and the Bandolero cars. So it's kind of a neat deal, really. You know, uh, it seems like it's been a month to Sunday since you and I last talked, and we talked about how the short tracks around the world or around the United States are going to, you know, have to adapt to the new norm. And some of them were, were streaming their, uh, their races when they're not like, like Atlanta Motor Speedway, not allowed to have fans, and, and they were charging um, – you know, maybe y'all should charge a buck or two or, uh, you know, see if you can't, you know, raise some more money for Speedway Charities as I, <laughs> as I segue into July 17th. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's a good way to segue. But, I mean, uh, we're not charging for the, the, the live stream. We have some great partners that, that help us out with, uh, awesome. with the Thursday Thunder. And uh, it, because the grandstand isn't open and because it is – truly an institution for 23 years yeah. that people people look forward to the series and, and and get to see that young talent develop i mean you know the the drivers and the lineage that has come the the list continues to grow another former champion won over at talladega a couple of weeks ago with drew dollar went on the arca race is, is it's kind of neat that that show has the staying power that it's had and uh, I think it's neat that, that the management team here, Brandon Hutchison, our executive vice president, our vice president of media with Dustin Bixby, made the decision that, you know what, let's put this out there so our fans can still engage with it. So that's, kind that's of cool. awesome. 
as I was teasing a little bit, uh, July 17th, don't forget you can drive the track to benefit the Speedway Children's Charities. A uh, chance for you to get your Hyundai or your uh, Honda or your Chevy, as we like to say, on the track and uh, help raise money for Speedway Children's Charities and all the different uh, beneficiaries that they have across the state of Georgia. Um, what else you got there, uh, uh, Ted? Because I, I believe I, I heard that uh, Dixie Speedway finally made the call on open the gate or not open the gate. <laughs> they, they, they did finally uh, uh, open up to, to fans last weekend. Uh, it was the first time that they'd run a couple of the races, um, but they were in the same situation as us here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Falling within those live event venue guidelines that the governor uh, has restricted, um, they finally were able to get an approval with their health plan and everything like that uh, through the through the Department of Health, and they were able to open up last week. And Tyler Millwood uh, picked up the feature victory in the super late models. He inherited the lead from Michael Page. Page was leading it through uh, the 12th lap when something went wrong and had to drop out of it. And Tyler Millwood was right there to pounce on the opportunity and. Uh, and took home the feature victory uh, at Dixie to kind of reopen uh, since they've been really closed for the majority of 2020 because of the COVID. Uh, and Millwood, uh, he had some uh, news this week as well as uh, he has teamed up with the recently uh, departed Bloomquist Racing team member, uh, Smokey Mad. As uh, uh, Smokey left Team Bloomquist and very shortly thereafter, he and Tyler Millwood made a deal for at least the Southern Nationals, which kicks off this weekend, uh, where uh, Chris Madden is going to be in a 44 uh, white Millwood plumbing uh, uh, race car, Southern Nationals, uh, that Ray Cook series that, that every year is very, very popular. In fact, Madden is, is the winningest driver in that series history. He's also a five-time champion. So I'm sure Millwood's going to be uh, excited about having that experience as well as Chris's uh, knowledge of setup and everything like that to be with his team as they charge into the Southern, uh, Southern Nationals Tour, uh, which kicks off this weekend. What other races are uh, going on this weekend that we need to keep our eyes out on? Well, I mean, you got uh, the OSP finally. We're, you know, we talk about Dixie just opening yep. up. OSP down in Savannah is finally going to open up Friday. Uh, they've been closed as well the almost the entire season. Uh, Patriots Park down in Dublin has a big show with several different classes running, including the Southeast Modified Series. If, if a fan's never seen the open wheel modifieds, is Jim Menka uh, out of Savannah, a former racer down at OSP. He started up the Southeastern Modified Series, doing pretty good with it. Uh, and they're at Patriots Park Speedway, the, the old 441 Speedway in Dublin, Georgia. Uh, Sonoma Raceway comes back with their second round of the Gumbo Series. They've got all their classes running, limited late models, crates, sportsmen, chargers, hobby stocks, mini stocks, bombers, hot shots. They're all in the racing card down there on the Gumbo for the Gumbo Series uh, with a couple of those classes running for $1,000 to win. And uh, uh, they always put on a great show there with the, with the Gumbo Clay and that slick, slick surface. Hey, if you're just throwing us here, don't forget now, uh, we want y'all to go check out AtlantaMotorSpeedway.com so you can get uh, information on the chance for you to drive the track July 17th and also check out the uh, the, the Legend Racing Action uh, being live streamed and you can find out how to watch it and take part and be a part of the the 20th year of the Legends program at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Go to Third. Atlanta, 20, 23rd. 23rd year. God, I'm getting old. 23rd year of the, the legends at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And check it out at atlantamotorspeedway.com. Well, Ted, I, I, buddy, I, 
I appreciate you, man, uh, taking time out of your busy day. Um, I'm happy to hear that that uh, Motorama has been moved to October. So that's a good that's good. That news. Made sense, yes. Yes. So that's some good news, and uh, we'll just keep pushing on and 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 moving and, and shaking until we get uh, through this other side of this new world we live in. It's uh, it's it's unique situations that our society is dealing with right now. Hey, this is Jamie McMurray, and you're listening to Southern Race Week. Well, folks, that's just about going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank y'all for taking time to tune in to Southern Race Week, where we give you updates and keep you up to speed on everything you need to know about the short tracks and super speedways in the southeast and beyond. Hey, don't forget, you can find us on Facebook anytime, and that's facebook.com slash southernraceweek, but you can also find us on any of your um, any of your iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. If you'd like to listen to any part of this week's show or any past shows, you can check us out uh, now on all your podcast flavors, as I like to say. Uh, but we want to thank y'all for taking time to tune in. And don't forget now, coming up uh, July 17th at Atlanta Motor Speedway, there's Speedway Children's Charities. One of the charities is at this strong to my heart because I literally literally live about 10, 15 minutes from the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Been working with the Speedway Children's Charities for years. You'll get a chance to drive your car around the racetrack. That's right, your personal car. You get a chance to follow the pace car around Atlanta Motor Speedway to take the checkered flag. And that's going to be coming up July 17th. So make sure you go to atlantamotorspeedway.com to get your information there. If you'd like to find us... Uh, you can find me on Instagram at William Barber. You can find me on Twitter at WB Radio Network. You can find Alfie at Alfie underscore 19. And, of course, you can find the show at SRW Radio Network. So just check it out anytime. And then always you can always just hashtag Southern Race Week, and we will find you, follow you, and we'll make sure that we keep up with you. Don't forget now, every single week here on this show, we get you up to speed with all the racing action. Jimmy Johnson has been cleared. He's going to be in Kentucky racing. Uh, has been cleared by NASCAR in the COVID uh, situation. So, And y'all make sure you do me a favor. Go enjoy a short track, but stay safe and be careful. I'm WB. Till next week, y'all have a great one. This is Southern Race Week right here on Your Racing Network. We'll